So we've been in this new series called I Deserve It, and I, I pray that, that, that God is speaking to you and God is dealing with your heart in this new series and, and, and figuring out what God's Word says versus maybe what you thought or what your friends and family might tell you or what rumors might tell you, but you have actually see what in God's Word uh, tells you that, that you deserve when certain circumstances come your way. And... Um, Last week, we started out with a short little video, and we're going to do the same thing this week to intro what the sermon topic is this week. Have a listen. journey with me this morning into what I believe is one of the most beloved instances in the life of Jesus, certainly so in the Gospel of John, where we find it exclusively and uniquely recorded to us, and you turn to the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John if you have your Bibles with you this morning. You might be surprised that one of the most beloved passages uh, of Jesus is not a necessarily recorded instance of a miracle that is performed. Uh, there are some great things that have happened um, in the Gospel of John. 5,000 are fed. Jesus walks on water. Water is turned into wine. Lazarus is raised from the dead. But I would argue, argue to you that the most beloved occurrence of the life of Jesus, according to the Gospel of John, as we read about in the 8th chapter, is not maybe about a miracle performed per se but rather about mercy that is presented. And if you would, out of respect and reverence uh, from the word of, of the Word of God, stand this morning. Some ways that we go through sermons um, speak to us directly from the Word of God, and, and, and we read certain scriptures, and sometimes we walk through together. But we're going to read it all up front this morning, so that's why I had you stand. As we read from the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John, it's a passage well known to just about any of us who have spent some time in church. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, and I'm reading from the new King James Version this morning. I heard an amen. No, I'm kidding. Someone said it should have been the original King James, because if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us. Bible scholars, you'll know that. But it says here in the book of John, Now early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in, caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. 
because sometimes you've got to ignore foolishness. That's not in your Bible? It's not there? So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is, out, is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Do me a favor as you're sitting down, play preacher for a moment, and look at your neighbor and give them today's sermon. Say, just drop it. Just drop it. As you drop yourselves into your seats. Just drop it. Now by this time when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, his popularity is on the rise. Jesus' popularity is rising. The Bible teaches us that he enters the temple and and almost all of Jerusalem gathers together. Because at this point in the 8th chapter of the book of John, Jesus has some great things already happened. Word is out that, that this Jesus has turned water into wine. It only gets better from there. A centurion has spread the word that Jesus has healed even his son. And though the centurion is not even a Jew. Word is spread that, that there was a man who was sick by the pool of Bethesda for 30 and 8 years. And at the word of Jesus, he was made whole. 5,000 folks are witnesses to the power of of Jesus as he was able to take some sardines and biscuits and bless everybody with leftovers. And there's even a rumor out that this Jesus can walk on water. So it's no wonder that by the time he gets to Jerusalem and enters the temple that a crowd has gathered together. A big crowd, a large crowd. The Bible says everyone was there. The overflow is filled up. I mean, there's people watching the live stream. Everyone's gathered together. There's everyone that wants to hear about this Jesus. They want to hear and see this man who's done these great things. Just about everybody believes that Jesus is who he says he is, except for a small group who continues to reject his claim to be the Messiah. And you know them if you've been in church more than a few years. They are the Pharisees and their conservative Tea Party affiliates named the Scribes. Thank you. These Pharisees and conservative Tea Party affiliates named the Scribes have issue with Jesus because it seems at every turn Jesus has openly questioned and criticized them. He's humiliated them in the crowds. He's poked holes in the Pharisees in their systematic theology. He's unveiled the hypocrisy of their religiosity. And these Pharisees and scribes have issue with Jesus because he's always made them seem kind of silly in public and in the eyes of the people. But not today. Today's the day the Pharisees and scribes, they're going to finally get back at Jesus. They know that Jesus is in the temple and they have come up with what they believe is the perfect plan to turn the tables. Jesus has questioned us in the past, but today we're going to get him. And so while Jesus is in the temple teaching, these Pharisees and their conservative Tea Party affiliates named the scribes have gone out into the town and they found a woman in the midst of an adulterous act. They barge into a bedroom of adults committing adultery and they snatch the woman out of the bed. Don't miss this scene. This is what's going on here. Now I don't want to know what happened to the dude. I don't know what happened to the guy if he ran 
or maybe he got a pass. But they were after her. And don't be so holy that you miss how this is going down here. She doesn't have time to put her makeup on. She doesn't have time to fix her hair. She doesn't have time even to put her clothes back on. They snatch her out of the bed. Religious people. Religious, holy people in their, in the, in their, in their, their own eyes. She grabs whatever bit of blanket and towel she can to cover herself. And these religious people snatch a half-naked woman out of the bed and drag her through the streets of Jerusalem. And they take her to the house of God. They throw her down in front of Jesus. Now picture it. She's been snatched out of a bed, humiliated in the streets of Jerusalem by religious people who take her to the temple. And now she finds out that the worst is yet to happen. Because when they throw her down, this is what they say. Jesus, the law of Moses says that this woman ought to be stoned, killed. And to her surprise, this group of religious people have now picked up some stones. Y'all remember the leaf blower from a few weeks ago? Get ready. That she ought to be stoned. And they're looking at Jesus going, we got him now. We got him. What are you going to do, Jesus? Because you only have two options. Jesus, you, you either have to violate the law of Moses, which proves that you are not the Messiah, or you have to authorize us stoning her. What's it going to be? If we stone her, Jesus, and you authorize that, look at all these people watching. They're not going to love you much anymore. You just authorized the stoning. We got him. And all we had to do, boys, was snatch this woman out of a bed and humiliate her and throw her down here in the front of this religious house. We got Jesus right where we want him. Lord, what are you going to do now? Well, the Bible says that Jesus exercises a third option. He begins writing on the ground. And you must understand that this, once again, it's his way of subtly disrespecting the Pharisees right there again. Suggesting that I am not going to deal with your foolishness. I am ignoring you. The Bible says he acted like he didn't hear him. I'm ignoring you because that's really all I have to do. But these Pharisees and their conservative Tea Party affiliates named the scribes won't let it go. You ever found some people in your life who just won't let it go? They just won't drop it? Jesus, we know you hear us. He's acting like he doesn't hear them. What do you say? Violate the law or stone her? Jesus keeps writing on the ground. And they push it again. Hey! You hear us. Stone her. Or violate the law. And Jesus says one of the most beloved and famous sentences in all of Scripture. He says this. He who is without sin, you throw the first stone. So what Jesus, in essence, is saying to this crowd that wants this woman killed. This crowd is ready to go. And what Jesus is essentially saying is. Drop it. Just drop it. That rock you're about to throw, drop it. That judgment you're about to pass, drop it. That name you're about to call her, all, oh, drop it. That, con- that condemnation you're about to execute, Jesus says, drop it. And Jesus says, drop it for a few reasons. First of all, Jesus says, that nobody in this circle is qualified to judge her. And listen, I know y'all Pharisees and scribes, I get it. You all think you're so holy and you memorize scripture and I know how you, you come to church and you sit near the front and I know, I know the religi- religiosity of the day, but nobody, Jesus says, in this crowd holding these stones is qualified to judge. Look, there's no doubt 
about this woman, right? She's a sinner, right? She's caught in the act of sin. Nobody is saying that what she did is permissible or right. She's in sin. And the Pharisees and scribes bring her to Jesus, and here's what they say. Let's deal with this sin issue. We caught her in sin. We want you to convict her of sin, and we want you to condemn her of her sin. We want you to deal with the sin that we brought to you. And Jesus says, Jesus says, yeah, great. But her sin, her sin is not the only sin that has entered into this space. Because when you brought her here, you brought her sin, you brought your sin with, with you. And therefore, this is what I must say. Whoever is in this room that has never done anything wrong, never fallen short, never committed a sin... You have the right to be the first one. But if you know that you're a sinner, you have no right or authorization to condemn somebody else. What is Jesus reminding him of? Reminding them of? It's something that I believe some of us need to be reminded of because we have apparently taken this out of our Bible in some places. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A couple amens. We'll get, we'll get a few more maybe soon. I can, can I teach you a little Bible this morning? Let me tell you what, what, what will happen. The law of adultery that they're referring to, that they come and they say the law of Moses says this. The law of adultery is found in Leviticus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 22. And to understand it fully, you've got to understand that the core of why they're stoning her had to occur. You have to understand that this is a patriarchal society. And, and the, the law of adultery was written to protect the husband's property, one of which was considered to be his wife. And so if another man sleeps with a husband's wife, he has violated the husband's property. And therefore, according to the law, look it up later, do your homework. According to the law, both the woman and the man, it's right there in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the woman and the man have to be stoned. Jesus said, hold on. He said, hang on a minute. Y'all brought this woman. What happened to the dude? What happened to the man? So he says, here's the deal. In order for you to have it your way, you you want me to condemn a woman who broke the law, but you broke the law by bringing her here. See, here's the irony. That while you're condemning someone of sin, you have actually committed sin by trying to condemn her of her sin. And so if she's got to go down... You got to go down. And he says, he might have said that, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but can I remind you that Isaiah says in chapter 64 and verse 6 that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. Which means that even when you think you're living at your religious best, these Pharisees thought a lot of themselves. And even when we, even when you, even when your neighbor, not you, but someone that you know, think you're living at your religious best, your righteousness is still filthy in the eyes of God. When you're quoting scripture, when you're on your knees, when you're, when you're in worship every week, I got news for you, you're still filthy rags in the eyes of God because none is righteous outside of the saving blood of Jesus Christ. That's a big, hold on a second, exception. But what these Pharisees don't understand is what Jesus says to us in Matthew 7. And here it is in the PBB version, the Pastor Brian Burke version. How dare you? How dare you judge someone else's sin when you've got your own stuff to deal with? You might want to write this one down too, this, 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 this next slide. See, the Bible is not meant to be, a, I know it's a lot, but I didn't want you to miss it. The Bible is not meant to be a set of binoculars that helps you look into the lives of others, but rather a mirror that causes you to look at your own self. Think about the scene we're talking about here, right? They're wanting to point, they're wanting to throw, they're wanting to condemn. But the Bible isn't meant to be a a set of binoculars that helps you to look at other people. Oh, I see you, man, I see you. But the Bible is meant to be a mirror that causes you to look at your own self. See, the Word of God doesn't authorize you to scope out and search out somebody else's issues and somebody else's sins and somebody else's faults. The Word of God is meant to be a mirror that causes you to look at your own unfaithfulness, your own sinfulness, your own iniquity, your own unrighteousness, and deal with yourself. Y'all getting this? 
Jesus understands the problem with the Pharisees. It's a problem that exists in a lot of churches today. It's that Christianity is often easy when your Christianity is comparative to someone else. Remember we said that last week. We said, look at your neighbor. We said, look at your neighbor and tell him, you make me feel pretty good about myself. Religiousness, righteousness is easy when it's relative to somebody else. Holiness is easy when you create a hierarchy of holiness that allows you to condemn somebody else's sin as greater than your own sin. Now you can sit back and pat yourself on the back and, and, and say, well, at least I'm not, I'm not like them. Don't point or nudge your elbow. So watch what Jesus does. That's why I love Jesus. He writes on the ground. Now, when you do your homework, you're going to find that there's no scholar who can tell you what Jesus wrote. But what we do know is that whatever he does, he convicts those who have stones in their hands to walk away. So I can, I can come up with a possibility that Jesus started writing some other sins in the dirt on the ground. To remind him that the adulterous woman, the adultery isn't the only sin that's in the room this afternoon. When I get to your sin, he's writing, drop your stone, raise your hand, and walk yourself out the door. Your sin might not be her sin, but trust me, your sin is in this dirt somewhere. Maybe that's why he wrote in the dirt, to remind us that all of us got some dirt that we got to deal with. Look at your neighbor. Tell somebody this morning. Say, drop it. You do not get a participation trophy for that. Now look at the neighbor on your other side who's your second choice and tell him to drop it. Drop it because you're not qualified to judge anybody. You're not qualified to judge anyone. That's number one. Number two, he says drop it because there are other issues you ought to be dealing with. And I, this might... This might rile you up a little bit or cause you to pull in your feet a little, stepping on your toes this morning. But he says there's other issues that you ought to be dealing with. Let's get into the Bible study this morning. The Bible says that Jesus comes to the temple. And in verse number 2, I believe that John uses an exaggeration in his recording of Scripture. He says that in verse number 2 that all the people came to see Jesus. Well, that's not exactly right. Not all the people. Everybody's not there because the Pharisees at this time, aren't there yet. The Pharisees and the scribes aren't there yet. They're out doing something else. Now, initially, I was going to preach that the problem with these people is that Jesus was in the temple, and they weren't in the temple with Jesus. And you've got to watch people that aren't in the right place when the Lord is present. But then it dawned on me, you know, that these Pharisees and scribes, you know, they're at the church all the time. They, they work at the church, probably there all the time. And, they're, they're, you know, they don't got to be at the church every day. And there's no recorded instance that this is even the Sabbath. And, and, and they don't have to be there. This isn't the Sabbath. So they don't have to be there. But, I mean, if, if you expect, I, the Pharisees and, and, and some of us, we even, you know, so we, I don't want to step on your toes. I mean the Pharisees, not, not us. The Pharisees, we would expect them to be there on the weekend, right? But they don't got to be at church all the time, every day. That doesn't prove that the Pharisees would say, that doesn't prove my righteousness or prove that I'm right with God because I, I'm there. The, the issue is that these people, the issue isn't that these people aren't in church. The issue is what they're doing when they're not in church, at the temple. Because when they're not in the temple this day, they're out trying to find a woman in the act of adultery. Y'all are too quiet. When they're not in the house of God, they are trying to find a woman in the act of adultery. This is the PG-13 version. They are looking for a woman in the act of adultery. Religious people are in, are, in order to catch a woman in the act of adultery, they have to literally peek in bedrooms. Follow me here. So they're outside the temple. They're not at the, at the, they're not worshiping. They're not at church, and they've got nothing better to do with their time than peek in bedrooms. They're not out there trying to feed the hungry. 
They're not out there. They're peeking. They're not out there concerned about the widows and orphans. They're peeking. They're not addressing the oppression of their time of the Roman Empire to overthrow the Jewish nation or the oppression of the Jewish nation. They got nothing better to do than to peek in bedrooms. There are other issues we have to deal with. Christians today that have nothing better to do than to judge people and to try and point out people's faults and sins. They're walking around. They're like, I got to find somebody to take this off of myself. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, I know I have some issues. I know I got some sin and I know I got this to deal with, but I got to find somebody. Somebody's worse, worse than me. Trust me, folks, we need to be about showing people's God's love, not his judgment. Demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel is our job, period. And what I want you to know is that this church has way more to do than pointing out faults in other people. There are way more issues to deal with. There are people that are hurting, dying, lost loved ones, people that we need to reach with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Way more things than we can be doing than peeking in bedrooms. One more time. This is the last time maybe that I'll tell you. Tell your neighbor, don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. Because Pharisees have nothing better to do than peek in bedrooms. There are marginalized people out there that need our help. Loved ones that need to hear about salvation. And all we want to do is throw stones for what's going on in bedrooms. Drop it. Drop it because no one's qualified to judge. Drop it because we've got other issues to deal with. And then finally Jesus says drop it. Because condemnation is not on my agenda. Here's a woman caught in sin. There's no doubt about that. We're not taking that away from the scripture. The question this passage passage raises that's critical for the body of Christ is what is our responsibility to those who are caught in sin? We don't talk about that a whole lot, but what are we obligated to do for those who have fallen in their walk with the Lord so often what we do is when people come to us and they've fallen and they're wounded Christians are one of the few organizations that sometimes more often than not we shoot our wounded we shoot our wounded we see people that we've put on pedestals right we've done that We've put people on pedestals and and pushed them up and pushed them out there, sort of Christian celebrities. And when they fall short, when they are caught in sin, we will never go to that concert again. We shoot our wounded. We stop following them on social media. Can you believe what happened to so-and-so? Well, we used to listen to that, but we're not listening to him anymore. We shoot our wounded. Is that that much different from what's going on here in this passage? This woman's caught in sin. And what do these people want to do? We got to get rid of her. We got to kill her. Shoot our wounded. What should you do when you know that there's another brother or sister in Christ who's not living up to the will of God? What is God's assignment on your life for this person? You search the scripture. You are never called to judge. You're never called to condemn. You're never called to expose. Here's what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Y'all know that's in the Bible? Why don't you do it? We shoot our wounded. Write those words down if you're taking notes or just make note of it. Spiritual restore and gentleness. Which means that half the folks in the... I wasn't going to say this. Half the folks in here today have no business dealing with anybody that's fallen in sin because the Bible says in order for them to deal with that, number one, you got to be spiritual. You should eliminate half the people on your row. 
that was my attempt at humor. And y'all, y'all not following me this morning? You have to seek to restore, and you have to do it with gentleness. That's what this verse says. Anything else disqualifies you from dealing with it. Let me tell you why the Pharisees have no business dealing with this woman and her sin. Because, remember, they catch her in the act of adultery, remember? And to catch her in the act of adultery, they have to know who she is, right? They have to know who she's with, and they have to know where it's going down. And they have to know when it's going to happen. They have to know these details. You you know, you didn't just find that out this morning. You you would have had to have known this for a little while. uh, But you've never done anything to help her. You care about this woman. Let me tell you something. These Pharisees did not care about this woman until she served their purpose. Their motive was not to restore this woman. Their motive was to embarrass her and have her condemned. And I don't know about you, but I don't need a bunch of folks around me who see me slipping and don't intervene and don't intercede and try to pray and don't try to help me. The one thing the Pharisees did do right, which is hard to find in this passage, but the one thing the Pharisees did do right is they brought her to Jesus. Well, let me tell you, that's really where your assignment ends. That's really where your assignment ends. You bring them to Jesus, and I'll tell you, great things happen when you lay people at the feet of Jesus. Great things happen when you pray and cast people into the care of Jesus. They brought, they brought her to Jesus. <laughs> Good things, great things happen when you trust the Lord in prayer to deal with a brother or sister who has fallen short of the will of God, or was in sin. When you pray, great things happen. But here's where they went wrong. I'm almost done. They bring her to Jesus. They're in the temple. They're Pharisees. They're religious folks of the day. In the temple with Jesus. And the deepest desire in their heart for her was that she be stoned. I see this scenario unfolding. Religious folks in the house of God in the presence of the Master. And within their heart, their deepest desire for this woman is that she be stoned. What's wrong with this picture? People who say they love the Lord and worship in the house of God and they have a heart filled with malice and wrath and Jesus says to them, drop it. Because when you bring her to me, my agenda for her life is not to stone her because God did not send me into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. So here's the question. Pharisees and scribes, what do you think the agenda, God's agenda for a sinner is? Where does God get greater glory? Is it in a sinner who is stoned or a sinner who is saved? Jesus says, look, if you're bringing her to me, you need to know that my agenda is not to judge her, but to justify her. Not to condemn her, but to convert her. Not to harm her, but to help her. Anybody can throw stones. Anybody can judge, anybody can condemn, but only a great and great, gracious and merciful Lord can look beyond faults and change a life. So I got to tell you that I was, I was a little wrong in the introduction to this sermon because I told you that John 8 was not a miracle. Well, yes, it was. Greater than walking on water, Greater than turning water into wine is the miracle of salvation. Where sinners are saved, where those who are wrong are made right, where those who are caught in the act walk out in righteousness. That's the greatest miracle of God. That God is able to take sinners like you and me and able to turn our lives around and give up unrighteousness and walk away from iniquity and move in the words of Jesus and go and sin no more. So the Lord tells them, 
Drop your stones. And then they walk away. And when Jesus looks up, it's just him and her. Because that's where salvation begins. Not in a condemning crowd. But in those private moments with the Lord. Nothing will change your life more, and I can stand and testify this morning, that nothing will change your life more than a private moment with Jesus. He says to her, listen, I said to her that the only person who could throw a stone was the one who has not sinned, which meant that the only one in that entire room, the only one who could throw a stone, Jesus didn't. He says, I do not condemn you. And if the Lord doesn't, what makes you think you can? Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, if you do your homework and, and, you, and you come and, and, you, and, you, and you read about this passage a little bit, a little, little bit on the, the commentaries and a little bit of discussion about this passage, scholars wonder, did she do it again? Did she do it again? Because that's that's our question here. Because in the body of Christ, one of the most damaging spirits are those who question the authenticity of someone's repentance. Right? And we see people who are repentant and sorrowful and we doubt it because we wonder if they're going to do it again. Now, you never see this woman again in Scripture. And we don't know why we never see this woman, but maybe the reason is that the Lord is saying one thing to us. It's none of your business. <laughs> maybe the Lord is saying that we don't need to know what this woman is doing now. It's none of your concern. It's none of your business. I know some of you can't appreciate that because you've got a sanctified private investigator badge. <laughs> but the emphasis is stop following her. Stop trying to figure out what she's doing. Stop trailing and trolling her. Start dealing with you. Getting your walk right with God and your life right before the Lord. Bible's not supposed to be binoculars to look at other people. Bible's supposed to be a mirror so that you look at yourself. It's none of your business if she's going to do it again. Take your sanctified private investigator badge off, turn in your card really not your concern you do the one thing that the scripture says you bring him to Jesus and let him be the judge would you stand now is the time in this in the service where we can be introspective when we get to say to the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me this morning? If you've heard anything in this passage that might reveal something about yourself this morning, it's okay to admit that before God. It's okay to get right before God this morning in church on a Sunday. had that judgmental condemning spirit I don't care if you've had it all your life I just have to tell you this morning that it's not of God it's God's role and responsibility to judge and point out people's sin and have him deal with it with them 
And I know in a, in a crowd this size that some of you need to let that go this morning. Some of you need to let that go. I don't care how long you've been coming to church. The Pharisees, they were, they were Pharisees. I mean, they were the church people. They were the religious folks of their day. And Jesus still said, you guys are off. You guys are off on this. It's not up to you to condemn. It's not up to you to stone. So if you would bow your heads this morning. honest with yourself and with your Savior. And if you were to confess before God, there are times, Lord, that I have been a bit judgmental from time to time. There are times, Lord, I have hung on to judgment and condemnation for way too long. And if you were to be brutally honest before God, who knows everything anyway, you would confess to Him this morning that it hasn't been easy to let that go. so often we say but Lord do you know what they did to me God knows some of you need to let go of that judgmental sin let's call it what it is and so with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning Nobody looking around. We don't want to embarrass anyone at all. You say to me, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, and I need to pray this morning that God will forgive me of my judgmental sin, that I'm so quick to con- condemn and not not build up and not do what I know is right that I've heard revealed in the Scripture this morning. If you would admit to yourself, to, to me, and to God this morning with nobody else looking around, you say, Pastor, that's me, and I need to let it go. Would you pray for me? I would pray for you. Amen. I didn't even ask. There's hands going up all over the place. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. People are being set free in our midst, saints. Amen. We'll go before the Lord right now. God, in your presence and in your midst this morning. Through your word, we've heard, Lord, that this morning, that this judgmental sin that we deal with and this condemning and condemnation that we so quickly uh, put on other people is something, Lord, that, that your people need freed of this morning. And I pray, Lord, that the people who have had the courage to say, that's me, Pastor, I pray, Lord, that the God of the universe that we pray to, that you, holy God, this morning, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, would give them strength, Lord, the, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's got that kind of power, that that Spirit would set people people free, Lord, of of judgment and set them free of sin and their judgmental attitudes, Lord, and set free of, of always being so quick to point out people's faults and not realizing that we have our own junk we got to deal with before we can point out other people's faults. God, would you deal with the sin that's in our heart this morning, that your word is true, that you did not come to condemn, but that the world might be saved through you. And God, your power is at work in this place this morning. Set us free this morning from that sin. Your word rings true that whom you set free, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Help us to let that go and find freedom in Christ this morning. We know you're going to do it, God. You're so faithful. You've done it before. You'll do it again. 
as we continue in this in this time of prayer, in this time of reflection, where we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and we're really seeking God during this moment, this sacred time. Maybe, as the Word pointed out to us, maybe this is your own private time with Jesus. I know you're in a room full of people, I get that, but maybe this is your own private time to have an encounter, a meeting with Jesus. That's why if we close our eyes and we bow our heads, we can even imagine that there's no one in in the room with us. It's just us and Jesus. And maybe this is your own private time with the Savior of the world. And maybe you've known a lot about God and a lot about Jesus. Maybe you were brought up in a certain way or a certain tradition that would teach you a lot of the things about God and about Jesus, but you never really got to meet Jesus and know him personally. And so that would be my next invitation for you this morning, that you would not leave here the same as you came in, that this is your opportunity in the house of God, hearing the word of God this morning, that, they, that God desires nothing less that you be in relationship with Him. And the gospel narrative speaks loud through this passage. That Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. You say, Pastor, saved from what? Saved from our sin. And how Jesus did that for you is that He died a sinner's death on a cross. The death that you deserve. And in this sermon series called I Deserve It, you deserve to die that death. Because of the sin that you've committed in your life, you deserve that death. Because of the original sin that's present in your life, you deserve condemnation. But Jesus saw fit to die in your place, to take your condemnation on himself in your stead so that when you stand before God and you will stand before God someday none of us is promised tomorrow when you stand before God as the scripture says with all of your righteousness which is filthy Jesus takes your place and you stand with his righteousness which is perfect that's the gospel And if you want that relationship, if you want to be different than you came in this morning, and you want to be changed, and you don't want to be the same as you came in this morning, you want that moment, this is your moment with the Savior. No one else is around, none of your accusers, none of your condemners, no one else is around but you and Him. You're able to look Jesus in the eyes this morning and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have fallen short. But right now I receive your grace and I receive your mercy and I realize that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you'd like to receive that grace and mercy and begin that relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, that's my invitation to you this morning. If you've known about God and Jesus for a long time, but this morning you want to know him, I would ask you to do the same thing. No one's embarrassing you or looking around. Just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I need to know him. Amen. I need to know him this morning. I need to know him in a very real way, Pastor, because I haven't known him all my life, and now I need to know him personally. And I receive Jesus and the fact that he died on the cross and stands in my place. So there is no condemnation for me. I'll give you one more chance. If that's you this morning, just slip it up. Nobody's looking around. It's just you and Jesus pray for you. Amen. Father, you've seen all of those who are reaching out to you in some way or shape or form this morning. And I pray, Lord, that your love would be so real and that your spirit would speak volumes to people this morning. Of your love, how there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And that, Lord, those who would judge us, those who would be so quick to point out our faults, 
that we could put you in front of ourselves this morning and say, it's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. I don't exist on my righteousness, but I claim the righteousness of Christ. So we don't need to stand before a people and give give reasons. We don't need to stand before a people. The only one we need to stand before is you, God. And we stand before you with the righteousness of Christ this morning if we're found in Christ. So Lord, we leave here a thankful people. People that are thankful that you don't judge, that you are the only judge, and that we don't have to answer to people. The only one we have to to answer to is you. And when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. We stand before you whole in Christ this morning. We stand before you cleansed. We stand before you with Jesus in front of us, saying, no, not not today. God, we are a thankful people this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your guidance, your provision, wisdom, discernment. Thank you, Lord, for all of the, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, help us, Lord, to shine like Moses when he met with you, that the people in this world will know that we've met with our God just because of the glow that comes off of our face, the Shekinah glory that we take from this place, we take from your house, knowing that we've heard from you this morning, and we take that into a lost, dark, and dying world, Lord, that we might show them the light of Christ is what they need. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us in this place. And as we depart from this place, may we not depart from your presence. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen.